everybody. We're, um, we're, we're continuing our series called Playbook. And, um, you know, what happens oftentimes is a team, uh, they're playing and, and they, they're struggling. They're stuck. The game plan isn't working. And what the team will have to do, or what the coaches in particular will do, is they've got to go back and look at the playbook. Sometimes they'll do that during halftime, make an adjustment, uh, you know, on how they're going to approach the game. And I don't want to trivialize life as just a game, but, but it does, that idea of a game and a playbook does provide a helpful metaphor for us, because Jesus has a playbook, and his playbook will guide us to live a blessed life. Jesus' playbook, we call them the Beatitudes, are eight plays or eight steps that will help us to experience an incredible joy and happiness that, that, that's greater than any circumstance can, can, take, can create or take away for us. And, and so, you know, we, well, just like a team, we often find ourselves stuck. What we get stuck in is our pride and our sin. And, and, and in that place... You know, the, the, the game plan that we had, it, it just isn't working. And I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I started uh, this year, 2022, uh, with a one word. Now, I cheated this year. It was actually not just one word to focus on. I have two words. Uh, they're parallel, kindness and gentleness, uh, because they're both uh, fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and so my intent for this year was that, that I would become kinder and gentler. Uh, five weeks in, and I'm failing. Uh, what I've discovered is when I'm now that I'm focusing on those two words is I'm discovering how many times I'm not kind and gentle. Now, you know, I could stop there and just be frustrated and go, ah, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. And, but I, I've been trying to understand why. Why is it so hard in every situation to be kind and gentle? And, and what I've begun to realize is that there, there's something that's very powerful and deep-seated in me that I'm still selfish and I'm still self-centered. The reason I struggle to be kind and gentle is because it's about me and somebody inconveniences me or doesn't do what I think they should do or in the way they, I should, they should do it. And, and, and so I've realized that, that there's a lot of work to do here still. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about in, in his playbook, The Beatitudes. The first play that we looked at last week is poor in spirit. And poor in spirit is simply this. We realize we're a mess and we can't fix ourselves. We need help. Now, the second play is what we're going to look at today. And that play is about mourning. And we find it uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom, or for they will be comforted, excuse me. Blessed are the mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, what Jesus does through all of his beatitudes, he does it here, is he shocks us with a paradox. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, happy are the sad. Now, only Jesus can do that, and it be true, and, 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 and it be impactful. Happy are the sad. Now, what Jesus is saying by that is that his playbook, his plays, are completely different. They're completely opposite of the world. See, what the world says is that if you really want to live the best life, blessed, you've got to seek happiness. 
But Jesus says, if you want to experience the very best life possible, you've got to pursue mourning. And, and that surprises us, but that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. And, and, and the word that Jesus used for mourning in the original language is the word for the strongest sense of mourning. It, it describes somebody who's in such grief that they're, they're mourning loudly and just crying out. It, it, it describes somebody whose heart is broken. It's a sadness that can't be hidden. And what Jesus is saying is the path to blessing is to mourn, lament, grieve, experience sorrow. But he also says that there's a promise, there's a benefit for that, and that's comfort. And we're going to get to the comfort part a little bit later. So the second play, the second step towards truly pressing deeper into Jesus is to mourn. We mourn, we grieve, we're sad, we experience sorrow when we've lost something. Okay? What was Jesus talking about? What kind of loss was he referring to? Now, I think many of us, when we just initially read this beatitude, we think of mourning in the ways that we typically experience mourning. We think of the loss of a loved one. We mourn that. A loss of our health, a loss of a dream, a financial setback. But I don't think that's what Jesus is primarily talking about here. I think Jesus is, is focusing in a, in a much different way spiritually. All of the Beatitudes, all of his eight plays in the Beatitudes are really about a spiritual reality. Think of the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Later, we're going to see that blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for, not for food and water, but for what? Righteousness. So, so the, the poverty that we're to have isn't a, isn't a physical poverty, it's a spiritual poverty. The hunger and thirst is a spiritual hunger and thirst. And the same is true with mourning. It's a spiritual focus. And, and, and what Jesus is wanting us to, to do, I think he's inviting us to mourn, is this. He's inviting us to mourn the loss of our innocence. He, he, he's, he's, he's asking us, to, that we would get to the place where we are, are truly sorrowful about the depth and, and, and the power of the sin in our life. That, that, he's, he's, that we should be saddened by how pervasive our selfishness is. That we're sick of our brokenness. And, and so this is what we mourn. We mourn the power of pride and sin that imprisons us. We mourn this, this thing inside of us, this brokenness that keeps us stuck spiritually. It's this honest awareness of, of how, how deeply ingrained sin is. And, and it's not just being sorry that, that, that this, we, we get to the place where we hate what's inside of us. We're done with this. We're ready for something different. We're unwilling anymore to rationalize away the, the, the mess that's inside of us and how messed up we are. We mourn over the disgusting power of our sin and brokenness. There was a season for me as a boy I don't know why. I'm sure there were psychological reasons for this. You know, something happening in my life. It could have just been because I was a boy who was young and stupid. Um, but, but I went in this, th I had this season when, when I would call girls fat and stupid. 
Now, I would never call a boy that because they'd beat me up. Uh, and and one, one day, my teacher, Mrs. Brand, overheard me say that. Now, Mrs. Brand, one, she was an incredible teacher, but she was also an imposing figure. And when she heard me, she came up and she grabbed my shoulders and she said what any good teacher would do, Glenn, say you're sorry. And I refused. Except she wouldn't let me get away with it. So I said I'm sorry, but it was like, I'm sorry, you know, with my eyes rolled up. And she knew I wasn't sincere. What Mrs. Brand wanted from me wasn't just to say I was sorry. She wanted me to recognize how wrong I was. And more than that, she wanted for me to change, right? That's what she wanted. You know, saying I'm wrong and sorry, those are hard to do. I I mean, to do that sincerely, it's hard. Those are hard words to speak. But what's even harder is to admit that we, that that not only are we wrong, is there something wrong in us, but that we need to make a change. That's a whole deeper level than just saying I'm sorry, where you get to the place say, I have got to change who I am and how I act, and I've got to take responsibility. That's the morning that Jesus is talking about. So my words for this year are kind and gentle, and I've already admitted I'm struggling uh, to do that. The struggle has been the, the revelation, the awareness of how strong and powerful and deep that selfishness is in me, that self-centeredness. But you know what? It's not going to change. I'm not going to change until I just am sick of it, until I am just done with this, this part of my life, that I'm willing to go deeper and to invite God into that to bring about a real change and a real transformation. So, so play one from last week, poor in spirit, is where we realize I'm a mess and I can't fix myself and I need help. Play two is that I am really ready for change. I I hate this so much that I want something different to happen in my life. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. Mourning moves us from confession to repentance. It's not just confessing that we've done something wrong or there's something wrong inside of us. It moves us to actual repentance. It's a kind of regret that helps us actually change. Because, you see, repentance is all about change. And so the sorrow of our sin leads us to change. It's a sorrow of repentance. Now, let's look at how how this looks. Maybe this is you. Maybe you get to this place where you are grieved by your gossip. You see how that gossip has has hurt other people. And so you admit that to God, that's confession, but you don't stop there. You move to repentance, really wanting to change, to stop that kind of, 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 of conversations that are so destructive. Or maybe your selfishness has, has damaged your marriage or, or your family, your kids. And you get to this place where the pain is so deep that you just cry out to God that he would help you find a way to truly put others first and live for others first. Or, or maybe 
Maybe you're just done with the, 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 the power that worry has in your life and how it's robbed you of so much. And so you get serious about replacing that anxiety with God's peace. Here's what's common to all of us. There's no change until the pain is great enough to cause us to want to change. We won't change, usually, until the pain is great enough that we finally see that we really have to change. And that's the morning that Jesus is inviting us to. And, and not only does Jesus teach us, but the Apostle Paul reinforces this as well. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes this in an incredible way in 2 Corinthians. And in just a moment, I'm going to read that to you. But before we get there, you have to understand the context because what we're going to read won't make sense without the context. And, and so here, here's the context. The Apostle Paul wrote at least three letters to a church that he founded in, in the city of Corinth. Okay? And he had at least, besides his original visit when he set up the church, he had at least one more visit. So, so let me just show you how this plays out. 1 Corinthians, in our Bible, 1 Corinthians was where Paul was responding to some questions that the church had and was addressing some problems that were there. There were some clear things that were wrong, and so in 1 Corinthians, he addresses them. But nothing changed. So Paul makes what he identifies as a short, brief, but painful visit to the church where he had to confront the church on their wrongdoing. And then after he left, he sent them a letter, and he calls this letter the painful letter. And, and he even says that when he wrote this letter, again, confronting them on all of their problems, he did it in tears. He, it, was, it was a really strongly worded letter. And then that brings us to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he, he got word that they actually had, were mourning over their wrongdoing and had repented. And it's in that context that we read Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Paul writes, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so, you, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So Paul had confronted them in person. He had confronted them with, with a letter, a harsh letter, and the result was that they experienced hurt. They were hurt by it. There was deep regret. But the sorrow, that, that mourning that the church went to led to change. Paul's goal wasn't to make them feel bad. That wasn't what he wanted. He wanted them to change their ways. And so the church mourned. They, they, be, they changed their wrongdoing. They repented. The word repentance literally means change of mind. That's what the word literally means. It, it means a change of mind, it, a change of our attitude, a change of the way we think, a change of, of, of our beliefs, a change of our desires, all of that, which then ultimately leads to a, a change in the way that we live. It's about change. Repentance is how we get free from the prison of our sin and our pride. 
Repentance is our escape from the prison of pride so that we can enter into the comfort of the Father. Now, Paul, if you, if you notice in what we read, said there's two kinds of sorrow, two kinds of mourning. One he called a godly sorrow. And he said that that godly sorrow leads to, to, uh, to salvation. And, and, and what godly sorrow is this, it, it, it's, it's when we admit that we, we've sinned. But it goes further. It's this burning conviction that our sin has hurt our relationship with God. It maybe has hurt others. And it's this kind of godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, to change. It's the sorrow that knows that only God can, can change those things in us. Only God can change the depth of my self-centeredness, which keeps me from being gentle and kind. It's trusting that God can bring about something new in us. Then Paul says there's a second kind of sorrow, and it's, he calls it worldly sorrow. And, and, and that worldly sorrow is when we just wallow in our self-pity, when, when, it, when we're actually self-absorbed about what happened. In other words, we're sad, but we're sad because we got caught. We're sad because we have to deal with the consequences of our wrongdoing. It, it, we're sad because of what it cost us. That's kind of what happened when Mrs. Brand caught me. I was, I was sad, but I was sad because I had to go to detention. Not because of what I did that was wrong. You see, the worldly sorrow is just another form of pride because really we're just focused on how our wrongdoing has, has created more problems for ourselves. But Paul says that there's a godly sorrow. And that godly sorrow leads to repentance. And that repentance, he said, brings us salvation. Now, the salvation he's talking about isn't the saving of our souls, you know, from hell and, and from the consequences of all of our sins. What he's talking about there, that word salvation means a deliverance that we're saved from the power of that sin in our lives when we truly repent. But a worldly sorrow, Paul said, leads to death. Why would a worldly sorrow lead to death? Because what happens is when we just keep focusing on, on our wrongdoing and the consequences, it just wears us down. It just eats away at us. It's like a slow death. But real mourning is this. It's repentance. And repentance is our escape from the prison of pride to enter into the comfort of the Father. And, and all of us face this prison of pride. We're stubborn. <laughs> we don't like to admit we're wrong. We want to protect ourselves. We want to continue to be self-reliant and, and we find all these crazy ways to feed our selfishness. And all of that causes us to act in ways that are opposite of Jesus himself. Pride causes an addict to refuse to admit they have a problem. But it's not just addicts, it's all of us. That pride causes all of us to just refuse that we have a problem or at least the depth of that problem. But, but we're not doomed to live in a prison of pride. We are not doomed to stay there. Godly sorrow leads us to repent. Repentance is our escape from the prison, the prison of pride, so that we can enter 
the comfort of the Father. Okay, it's been a little heavy, huh? Talking about mourning and sorrow and, and grief and, uh, and all that, and, and, and I get that. But, but I want us to look again at, at this second play, the second beatitude of Jesus. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's three key parts to that beatitude, to that play. First is the word is blessed. All of them begin this way. Where Jesus is wanting to take us is not just the morning. What he's saying is it morning is a path to blessedness, to a much better place. So we can't forget that, that Jesus wants to lead us to a better place. And part of that, too, is that not only is there the blessing of this, but there's the reward. Because those who mourn will be comforted. That's the promise. Are you ready for some comfort? <laughs> Comfort's the reward of mourning and repentance. What's the comfort of the Father? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Here, here it is. He forgives us. He forgives us all our sin. Whatever was done in the past, whatever is going on right now, forgiven completely. Completely. And the comfort is that we get to live in his grace. His grace is this, that even though we don't deserve his forgiveness, his love, he's going to give it to us. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. He just wants the best for us. That's grace. And not only has he given us this grace, but, but that's all because of his incredible love. It is so deep. It is so wide. It is never ending. We can't even fully comprehend how wild he is about us. He loves us. And it's out of that love. Even when we still mess up, his love and his grace is there. He never withdraws. He never diminishes his acceptance of us. In fact, that acceptance translates into the fact that we are adopted as his own children. We're a part of his family. And as a loving father, he wants to care for us, comfort us, protect us. It's not about punishment. It's about a loving father who wants the very best for us. And so mourning, the mourning that Jesus is talking about isn't about that Jesus is beating up on us. Rather, it's pressing deeper into the comfort that only Jesus can give. Now let me just do a, a quick review of these first two plays. The first play, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're in a good place when we know how messed up we are and we know we can't fix ourselves. And then, blessed are those who mourn. We're in a really good place when we're just tired of the sin and the pride in us and we're ready to make a change. So here's how repentance plays out. I, I want to give you six steps to actually experience repentance. And, and write these down if you like. Um, I'm also going to make these available. I've created what's called a repentance guide. And, and in that repentance guide, I've got these six steps and, and a bit more that will help you actually 
work through a process of repentance. And you can get that guide by texting ROOTED to 46356. That'll take you to our Next Step page. And, uh, and just click the Repentance Guide and you'll have access to that. So here's the six steps. The first is this. Grieve and mourn. That's where we start. We're truly sorry for our pride and our sin. It makes us sick and we're ready for a change. It's whatever is in there or whatever is lacking that just has created this level of disgust that something's got to be different. Here's the question. Are you willing to mourn? Are you willing to go to that place where you really are done with whatever it is that's, that's, that you're stuck in? Do you really want this? Folks, if there's no mourning, that's a warning. If there's no mourning, that's a warning. Second, you got to identify what's got to change. You got to be specific. It can't be, it can't be vague. Remember, repentance has changed. What needs to change? Could be a, a belief, an attitude, could be a behavior, could be a habit, it could be a lifestyle, it could be the folks that you're hanging out with. What does God want changed? What do you want changed? Be specific. And then confess that. Number three, confess your sin. Confess your sin to God directly. Confess it to those who, who, who you trust, who are safe. Confess it to those who your sin has hurt, if that's possible, if that's safe. Again, it's more than just being sorry. It's, it, it's getting to that place where you're saying, I'm not making excuses anymore for my behaviors, for my attitude, for my thoughts. I'm taking ownership of it. And, and, and no more excuses. The confession has to have a plan. What are you confessing? To whom? How are you going to do that? Have a, have a concrete plan. Fourth is this. You make amends. Look, repentance is change. And really, repentance hasn't happened until the change has been enacted. And one of the most powerful, profound ways that we practice repentance is by going to those we have wronged and try to make it right, to the best that we can, to whatever opportunity that, 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 that we have in that. Who have you sinned against, and how will you make it right to the best of your ability? And then five, we set up guardrails. Look, we, we all have weaknesses. The evil one knows we have weaknesses. He's always going to attack us at our point of weakness. And so what we do is we try to identify those weaknesses and we set up guardrails to keep us on track, so to speak. Let me, I'll give you an example just of one. There could be a lot of other examples, but here's one. Maybe the, the, your weakness, maybe your struggle is pornography. So you set up some guardrails. You, you establish internet filters on all your devices you make sure that none of your devices are in private places, but they're in public places. You have an accountability partner. You create the systems that will help protect you in that. What specific guardrails do you need to establish? And then sixth and finally, 
establish a safe spiritual community. We need others to help us. They, they, we, gotta, we have to create safe spaces with safe people that we can confess our struggles to, that we can share our weaknesses, that we can ask to have them pray for us. It's so powerful to have people pray for us and encourage us. And the fact is, God often speaks through other people. And, 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 and staying silent and, and staying secret in it only hurts us all the more. We need others. Who is your spiritual community? Sincere sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance is change. Repentance is our escape from the prison of pride to enter into the comfort of our Father. Are you ready for change? Are you ready to repent? Do you want the blessed life? Do you need the comfort that's found only in Jesus? There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. So if you're here with us in person or online and you have never invited Jesus to, to be in charge of your life, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, I want to encourage you, decide to follow Jesus and his ways. You can do that right now. It, it simply is, looks like this. You admit that your life isn't how you want it to be. It isn't how God wants it to be. You admit that you need a Savior, Jesus, who will forgive all your sins. You admit that you need him as Lord of your life, the one whom you're going to surrender to to give him control of your life, to lead you and direct your, your direction and how you live your life. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you can say it right now wherever you are. You can use whatever words that you want to use. You just simply say, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do it right now. And then the next step, after we make that commitment to follow Jesus, is that we make that in a public declaration so that others know we've made that decision. And we do that in something called baptism. In baptism, we are making a vow, a commitment, a promise to follow Jesus with all of our heart to the best of our ability all the days of our life. It's, it's how we begin this new life. It's how we turn the corner and cross the line of faith to begin fresh and new. And so if you're with us online and you want to be baptized, I want to encourage you to text ROOTED to 46356. And, and that'll take you to our baptism button. Uh, let us know who you are, and we will follow up with you. We'll help you arrange that, answer any questions you have. And if you're here in person today and you want to be baptized, we're going to have that opportunity in our service. At our, at our 9 o'clock service, I think we had 14 folks who were baptized. Yeah. And we're going to have that opportunity now. And so... In a moment, uh, we're going to stand and sing. And as we're standing and singing, if you are ready to be baptized, I want you just to, here in person, just come uh, to uh, the left side of the auditorium here. You'll see the baptism sign there. It's lit up. There'll be people there to help you. And we've got everything you need. There are private changing rooms. There's clothes to be baptized in, towels, hair dryers. No excuse not to do it. We got you covered. 
Okay, it's all there. You just have to decide you're ready. I, I want to read to you the words of the song we're about to sing because these words are so incredible. It really describes the decision that you'll be making when you're, being, when you're choosing to follow Jesus and be baptized. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to commit to following Jesus and you want to make that in a public declaration of baptism, I invite you to come. Would you all stand as we get ready to sing? And, and come as we stand.